Here's to the finest crew in Starfleet. Engage. Watch your back, Jean-Luc. Jean-Luc. I'm Captain Captain Janeway of the USS Voyager. Captain Captain Janeway of the USS Voyager. Welcome to the Greatest Generation. It's a Star Trek podcast by a couple of guys who are a little bit embarrassed to have a Star Trek podcast. I'm Ben Harrison. I'm Adam Pranica, coming at you from a newly reskinned studio. Do you see this yeah. behind me? It's amazing to see you not under a bed sheet for the first time in episodes and episodes. <laughs> I know, you're, you're used to seeing me in the sheets. Yeah. Not anymore. Now, are you in the streets? Wait wait a second. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what are we, uh, not Star Trek podcasters in the streets, that's for sure. No, no. We try to avoid that coming up. Definitely Star Trek podcasters in the sheets. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah, which is why our wives are so satisfied. Yeah. I am sure you had this experience, Ben, but the the studio space I'm working out of, that I'm going to be working out of, it had nothing in it. And the sound was like a high school basketball court. Uh It was so echoey and crazy. Yeah, you have a concrete floor in that room? Yeah, I think that's fair. And I think it's just like a, I think it's just a a laminate wood flooring over the top. Oh, okay. I see. So it's just a bouncy, super live room. And you've now put, uh, put baffles up? I think I over baffled though, man. There's no such thing. That's impossible. Okay, well that's that's good because I think what happened is I chose baffle. I woke up and chose baffle <laughs> instead of decoration because I'm looking around at all of my wall space and I'm like, where do I put the fun things that Bill Tilly has sent us? Where do I put right. pictures of my worth? Where do I do all that? <laughs> you, you've gone. With a white wall with a slightly off-white to gray uh, sound treatment panel. And the panels are covering almost every square inch. There's there's nowhere to hang a a tour poster. Not that anybody would ever hang one of our tour posters. That bums me out. Like, So there's a skeleton inside these baffles, right? Like the the baffle's a box and it's filled with the the deadening material and then it's skinned with the fabric. But there's, there's like wood slats in the baffle uh-huh. could i hang a picture on the baffle i don't know you should probably ask your baffleman about uh the mm. you know the weight tolerances of the skeleton yeah these these guys are not coming off really they hung like a register piece of wood and then they nail gunned it into that register wow and Damn. it's like on there he's like if you ever want to take these off you should probably call us but also just yank extremely hard at the bottom and then kind of like <laughs> cowboy it up over the top. And that's how you get these things off. So I think I think this is the way it's going to be. Man. Unless I really want to make some changes. But it sounds great. Yeah. You should uh, see if that guy that did the mural at Facebook's office and took stock options instead of payment is available. Talking about uh, David Cho. To come paint some stuff on your sound panels because painting the panels wouldn't harm their efficacy right that is a great idea i've got all these silver sound panels i could do discerns on them yeah yeah i have a lot of panels dude (laughs) i'm looking around and 
And the ones up top are square. Yeah. I'm surrounded by cubes. <laughs> I should have made them black and green like Borg's cubes, right? Yeah, speaking of cubes, they don't show up in today's episode. I know. <laughs> I know. But a Borg's does. Yeah, it sure does. Actually, many of them. Do you want to get into uh, today's app? I really do, Ben. What an interesting second episode of the fifth season of Star Trek Voyager. It's called Darone. <laughs> Reverse course. Unless you've got something a little bigger in your torpedo tubes. I'm not turning around. They put a lot of syllables in that. <laughs> that would have been a cool baby name for you. Mm. D apostrophe R-O-N-E. That's a Star Trek name that your wife never would have figured out, right? No, but listen, we haven't shared my baby's name on the show. I want to keep it that way. And yeah. I don't want anybody to be able to use process of elimination. So uh, that's the last time we'll ever imply that his name isn't anything. Hey, for the purposes of our show, and I think it would help if we could just have a name we agreed on the whole time mm. so that we're not like fumble fucking around for how to refer to your son. Could he be <laughs> Darone <laughs> when we talk about your kid? <laughs> sure, why not? <laughs> All right, good. With my luck, it, that will spontaneously become like a nickname that he goes by when he goes to elementary school, and then I'll have to like walk it back somehow. Like, yeah, he's actually never been to Roan, and we never did that. <laughs> Just like his daddy, the kid with an embarrassing name. <laughs> this is an episode that opens, and I was, I was like, Looking at this opening shot, and I paused the episode, and I wrote down this bedside POV, this like looking up from a bed or from a slab, is really starting to become a visual hallmark of Voyager, like the POV shot. Yeah. It's of Seven of Nine making a great big glowing smile, and then you realize it's not that at all. She's looking at a mirror. There's something unusual about this smile, and this is a thing that me and my wife have done comedically forever, which is she does not smile with her eyes and just her mouth. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's the reverse of what Tyra Banks does. <laughs> not smizing? <laughs> smizing. The high school dance photo of smiles is what this is. Right. For many right. of them, right? There's something haunting about someone who smiles with just their mouth and not their eyes, and that's what you see here. If she did throw the eyes in, though, this would be a real charming smile. It would be. Yeah. She's got everything else working. It's true. But it, it takes practice, and uh, when the EMH barges in, he uh, is uh, complimenting her on her progress. She's really irritated that he is uh, invading her personal space without asking. Knock on my door! Knock next time! This used to be Seven's move, the entering a place without knocking. Yeah, methinks the drone doth protest too much. Also, we're aware of the security masturbation protocol on board the ship. <laughs> How much of this is on Seven for not locking the door? Yeah, if you're gonna, if you're gonna flick the bean in the cargo bay, you need to be a little bit more careful about it. Yeah, she's flicking the corners of her mouth is what she's doing, and the doc catches her. At this point, it seems unclear how much the doc has seen. Later, he lets it spill that he's seen it all. He's seen everything. Of everybody. Yeah. He and Seven are off to study a nebular, mm -hmm. and uh, this is going to be a brat class mission. Just 
column that saves you money, buster. This is a, a shuttle into which seven of nine Tom Paris, BLT, and the doc have all wedged themselves to study like novel types of radiation. Mm-hmm. See what's going on with this. <laughs> Just another expanse that they're worried about crossing and what it might do to the ship. They're being a lot more cautious about these now. <laughs> based on recent experiences. Don't you like shop talk, though? Anytime Star Trek affords the chance for its characters to be like, man, these Brat-style shuttles, right? You remember <laughs> how many cadets they used to cram in here? Yeah, yeah. Get them all stanky. Yeah. Do you ever read about like those NASA experiments where they were like, you know, we're not going to be able to have a shower on the space capsule, so we need to study you know, how long it takes for clothes to rot off of somebody's body. So they would just like lock a NASA engineer in a room for like two months and like slide food under the door and their fucking clothes would just like come off them in tatters because they got so dirty. Uh, (laughs) That sounds awful. Yeah, there's a great Mary Roach book about the space program and how how nasty it is. God, I bet. That's so much about... The space program sounds cool and interesting, and that just sounds horrifying. It's the book where I learned the term fecal popcorning, Adam. Right. Yeah. (laughs) And now we all know it. (laughs) There's some light bangers that happen on this shuttle, and BLT pulls a Austin Power-style, oh, I fell over, (laughs) oh, I fell over again, (laughs) move. Hello there. Uh, I don't know about you. But I've got a case of class two claustrophobia. This conversation about the brat style shuttle reveals something interesting, a uh, an inspiration, actually, that Seven observes how shitty the brat style shuttle is. And she's like, you know, you guys should probably just come up with a new kind of shuttle. Yeah. And this look <laughs> between Paris and BLT, we aren't usually allowed to see what this look is. This is usually an under the sheets look that they give each other. Yeah. They are turned on by this. Not a bad idea. They are horny as hell about this idea. But then they spike the camera. They both just look directly into the camera. (laughs) I thought that was a bit of a strange... I mean, Star Trek has never broken the fourth wall like this. I mean, aside from that one episode where Siskiya was, you know, feeling a type of way about killing a man. (laughs) I think we're heading toward a place where we will have infinite... Star Trek's and infinite genre combinations. Right. We're probably going to have the Star Trek office here (laughs) in the next five years, (laughs) where there will be a lot of spiking the camera. A lot of on-the-fly interviews in people's offices about what's happening, what their philosophy of management is. You'd never guess that Lieutenant Halpert would end up a jacked, Jack Ryan figure (laughs) after the show is over. But that's the career track. Yeah. Turned out that guy was a cop the entire time. (laughs) So there's a bigger plasma explosion after the little one that caused the initial turbulence. This is going to be more than the shuttle can get away from. And up on the bridge, they are determining that they need to beam the away team out sacrificing yet another shuttle. Mm. But maybe the last time we see the Brat class because they've got this great idea to build a new one that's easier to move the camera around in. You think they're running out of Brats and they're going to like regular hot dogs after? 
<laughs> you got to have a backup sausage if you're from the Midwest. That's Specifically, they said bigger and more efficient. And I don't think a regular hot dog is either of those W slash R slash T, the venerable bratwurst. You're right. You're right. On Voyager, Janeway moves the ship into transporter range, and they got to get these guys out of there. In the transporter room, it's Chakotay in there, along with Mulcahy, <laughs> which I think when you're coming up with character names, you definitely need to consider the difficulty of saying it, right? I don't think mm. Mulcahy is an easy name to say, and I'm I'm a pranica. I know of <laughs> difficult names to say. Yeah. Also, like, are Irish people allowed to have non-transporter chief jobs in Starfleet? <laughs> yeah, it's transporter chief and cop. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. If you have the, the good fortune to be at an Irish pub on the night of a transporter chief's wake, it's yeah. one of the great experiences. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, there's that one day a year where the transporter stream is dyed green on the ship. <laughs> it's really fun. Yeah, if you don't know about it, you can be like, ah, Borgs! <laughs> and then they'll be like, no, 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 Sonny. <laughs> Mulcahy seems barely up to the task of a rough transport. And that's what this dissolves into mm. pretty quickly, right? Mm. Am I right? Yeah, you're right. It seems fine. It seems like everybody came back in one piece, but as the doc is stepping off the pad, he starts blipping out, and we get a glimpse of his emitter. That thing got fucked up. Yeah, we do glimpse the emitter, don't we? <laughs> yeah, Chicote does. Everyone else fast walks out of the transporter room, but the doc, after blipping out, leaves this thing behind, and, and we hear from him from Six Bay, right? Yeah, he's very worried about... Uh, what's going on with this thing. Mm -hmm. And it, it looks like it got cooked, you know? Yeah. It looks like, uh, you know, you, you're not supposed to put metal things in the microwave. This looks like, uh, you know, they, they were storing leftovers in the mobile emitter and tried to reheat them in it. Doesn't work. Uh, yeah, I've got a question. Why are we messing around with transporting the doctor? Like, <laughs> why can't we just transport to a place with the emitter, turn the emitter on when we get there. <laughs> when the mission's over, we turn off the emitter, we, we, we put the emitter in a park it, and then we beam back up to the ship. Why are we, why are we burning starship calories on, on the beaming of a hologram? Get a light. Yeah. Does the hologram even get beamed, or is it just the emitter that gets beamed? Exactly my point. Yeah. Yeah. We don't know. Made me wonder. Our course is locked in. What? Listen to me very carefully because I'm only going to say this once. So they take this thing down to the science lab and Ensign Mulcahy is going to have to come back to see how the diagnostic goes the next morning. This is apparently a, like a render the timeline level process. Boy, you said it. <laughs> We just hope that when we get up in the morning, we have an H.264 file that is, you know, flawless and ready for deliverables because we are not going to have time to do this twice. Do you think the rate of file size increase is the same in proportion to render time to where, like, 
it's not like processor speed has grown to the extent that you still don't have to wait if you're a video professional for renders. Right. The job hasn't changed in that way. You're still, if you're a client, you're still paying for a lot of waiting around. Yeah, I, man, the, the number of all-nighters I, I spent babysitting a render because I was worried Dude, that something yeah. wasn't going to work just perfectly. God. Sat in a lot of empty office buildings at four in the morning. Yeah. Like with, with emergency power. You know how the overhead lights, there's like one every <laughs> 200 feet of ceiling space at night? Yeah, and you're like- That's fun. I guess I'll get up and go back over the Coke freestyle machine and make myself another bubble water because I can't just drink soda all night. You think I ever worked in a place with a freestyle machine? That would be amazing. <laughs> oh my God, there are- ugh. <laughs> I could not resist that. I had no choice but to resist. Damn. The telltale freestyle machine just goading you. Yeah. All I could think about. So is it because the mobile emitter is 29th century tech that it takes this long to do a diagnostic on it? Maybe that's the case. It's like hooking up a new hard drive to an old computer. Right. <laughs> yeah. So uh, Mulcahy's supposed to check on it in the morning. And they walk out of the room, and this thing spouts tubules immediately. Yeah. Yeah, if Mulcahy had stayed at his post <laughs> for even 30 seconds longer, right, he would have noticed. This is why he's, you know, he's new to the industry. This is why he's a PA and not the producer or whatever. Like, the, yeah. you know, he doesn't know that the buck can stop with him. It's true. After the break... Janeway's log tells us that the nebular keeps growing. She's like, usually we see small nebulas, nebulas regular size, but this <laughs> nebula is whoa. Ha, ha, ha. <laughs> Inside BLT's quarters, uh, the doc has reminded us that he can pop up on any screen at any time, invited or not. And this scene is creepy as hell, I thought. Yeah, because BLT is like sleeping in her negligee and the doc. I mean, this is classic the doc, right? This is classic pre-Sarah Silverman episodes, the doc. Why wouldn't you, if you're writing this story, take the easy one and put Paris in bed to take great umbrage with the doc over this moment, right? Like put them in bed together. Right. But Paris and BLT have been having problems in their relationship lately. And this demonstrates those problems non-verbally. Remember when they were in the void and they were like picking fights with each other? I don't think that they've like completely patched things up yet. Mm. That's too bad. So we get a, a scene where she goes in to take a shower because he's like demanding that she work on his emitter on her day off. Yeah. She disrobes, they're back to the camera, and the doc pops up there in the shower too. Hey. It's nothing I haven't seen before. It's crazy. Roxanne Dawson has gone from wearing four layers of clothing in the last season <laughs> and a jacket to full on robe drop yeah. in early season five. And she has to throw her uh, her terry cloth towel over the <laughs> over the iPad to uh, to keep him out of her private space. It's crazy that the showers are sonic, but the towels remain the same, right? Yeah. Also, it's crazy that they put FaceTime in the shower area. And what's going on here seems pretty pervy. 
doesn't it? Remember how novel it was to occasionally go to a hotel where there was a TV in the mirror? Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think they do that anymore, but I remember the first time I encountered that. That's big fun. Yeah, I went to a hotel that had a TV in the mirror, but it was at a right angle to the tub in the room, which was Ah. so annoying because I was like, I want to take a bath and watch fucking... You know, moonshiners or something on uh, on the Discovery Channel. Yeah, moonshine truckers. And instead, like I'm going to be relaxing all of my body except for my neck will have a giant crick in it from being turned to the left the entire time. Yeah, fuck that. My neck, my crick, my 90 degree angled hotel mirror TV. <laughs> There's a reason why Weird Al writes those songs and not me, right? Yeah, yeah. We never do parody music on this program yeah. because we know it would be bad. <laughs> Leave it to the masters. <laughs> so Seven wakes up suddenly mid-recharge. It's a, it, She hasn't fully regenerated, but she knows something's up. Yeah, She's suspicious. She steps off the pad, and then we kind of cut up to the bridge where it looks like Harry Kim pulled the overnight shift in command. It would be great if every time he had the big chair, he played a clarinet in it. <laughs> that just became his thing. Oh, great. <laughs> Ensign Kim's here to play his clarinet and make us call him captain again. Sounds like you're enjoying the big chair. <laughs> That's not a bad way to spend the night. Commander, I keep asking to be uh, rotated off of the fourth shift, and I think you know why mm. I keep asking. Yeah. From what I hear, Ensign... You're one of the past masters on board at getting rotated off. (laughs) He was stating the obvious again. You definitely want to set up the security protocol if you're in your quarters (laughs) rotating off, right? Right, yeah. And, you know, make sure that the Delaney sister is into it before you start rotating off. Yeah, yeah. Something funny happens here that made me wonder if the show isn't on the joke. Did you notice the cloud of story writing credits here displayed over the ever-growing Borg screens in the <laughs> in the science lab? Yeah, that was pretty fun. You think that was a comment on itself? Um, yeah, I think they're tagging the joke, hanging a lantern on it. Yeah, because there's like eight writing credits on this one again. But like Brian Fuller among them? Yeah. We're in capable hands, at least. Yeah, we like Brian Fuller even though he quit Star Trek, right? <laughs> Ready to run Discovery and then at the last moment, like, fuck that. Yeah. I mean... Whatever happened there? It sounded like the first couple of years of that show were a pretty rocky situation, W slash R slash T showrunner. Oh, yeah. Man, (laughs) you said it. So Chakotay is like relieving Kim of command and is asking for a situation report. And Seven walks onto the bridge and is like, there's Borgs here. And they're like, what do you mean? And she's like, I can tell, you know, I'm getting proximity alerts in my brains. This is an old Deanna Troy trick, right? Right. You know, whenever she'd be like, I feel something and it's weird. The whole show stops. Yeah. But I think that Troy had earned a certain like instinctive trust Mm -hmm. in the rest of the crew on the D that Seven hasn't quite yet. So... There's a lot of like, what do you mean there's Borgs instead of just like stop, like all stop security alert kind of shit. And I think if they'd like said red alert the second they got this report, maybe Ensign Mulcahy wouldn't have gotten in the trouble he did. Yeah. And so far there hasn't been any false alarms of like, 
she's never been the girl who cried Borgs. No. This is, to my knowledge, the first time she's brought up something like this. So Mulcahy goes down to the science lab to do his follow-up on the diagnostic. And when he opens the door, it's like a Twitch streamer has redone the lighting in the room. It's all green. Yeah. We don't even see what he sees, but we do see the tubules go into his neck. Mulcahy, you got to call for backup, dude. You got to. When you see green, just call for backup. That's either Roms or Borgs. Is it possible that Mulcahy doesn't know what the Borgs are? <laughs> or anything about how they present color-wise? <laughs> he's like, he's just been living under a rock. Yeah. I remember six months into 2002, an NPR report where they found somebody like that you know, worked on a farm somewhere in the middle of the country that hadn't heard of 9-11. Yeah. <laughs> That's Mulcahy. Yeah, he's that. Wolf 3-5 what? <laughs> no, I mean, Picard, in my mind, has always been one of the great captains and a spotless record, if you ask me. <laughs> the thing I like about Picard is nothing bad ever happens to him. Yeah. That's what I think. I've always admired his elocution. <laughs> <laughs> so we got Borgs in the science lab. Seven, who has been told to go to Six Bay to, you know, it's like they first at first don't believe her to the extent that they order her to get a diagnostic of her Borgs parts. So condescending. Just a bunch of men telling her to go see a doctor about whatever it is they don't understand inside her. Sounds great. And uh, smash cut to those men being proven dramatically wrong and a bunch of security people marching down the hallway with huge rifles to the science lab. To Cote to Seven of Nine. Looks like you were right. Discovering that uh, it has started to become assimilated. Why do I love these scenes so much? Just a fucking march down a hallway with a bunch of Starfleets and phaser rifles. We yeah. could have luxuriated in this scene for like another half a minute. <laughs> Give me more of this walk. Yeah. There's that YouTube that's like 10 hours of Riker and Picard marching down the hallways. In the, <laughs> yeah, that's in great. The D. <laughs> I wonder if that could happen to this scene. Yeah. Are there enough cuts that you could keep it going? That's great. So yeah, they find Mulcahy. He's out. Is he dead? They don't say it explicitly like but but as they describe what's happened and because no one rushes to uh give any sort of life-saving aid like yeah. to him i think that's what they're saying yeah i think that's well this. they take no but they take him to six bay and he like walks away but what yeah he he walks with the other two security guys and like leaves tuvok and seven in the lab no fucking way are you are you serious yeah go to like the 12-minute mark, and you will see dead man walking. All right. Take him to sick bay. When Ensign Mulcahy entered the room, they sampled his DNA. I'll be here bright and early. But, like, one of the things that confused the hell out of me in this episode was I think it's the same actor playing one eventually. Mm. Is that? Am I wrong about that? Very, yeah. It's, the, it's a different guy, but it's the same DNA. Why would they recast Mulcahy and one? This is the point I wanted to bring up later, which is like, if you're Mulcahy, the actor who plays him, 
and you see how this episode begins, you got to be like, I'm a main character here. I'm going to work <laughs> for an entire week. This poor guy, Todd Babcock, they pull him out and replace him with J. Paul Bomer. You know that guy, right? He plays every Nazi on Star Trek for the last 10 years. Fuck. He was in the killing game. He was the killing game Nazi. No shit. Yeah. Europe must be purified. What the fuck? And I like J. Paul Bomer. I like him just fine. You would. But, ah, uh, what a nut smash Todd Babcock has to deal with. This is why I thought he died. Yeah, because they also like don't seem to check in on him any further in the episode. Nobody's like, how is Ensign Mulcahy doing? See, my attention was drawn to Seven. I totally missed Mulcahy being taken away under his own power. Yeah. Why don't we know what happens to him? <laughs> There's so few members to this crew. Somebody dying should be a huge deal. Like going down and getting covered in McRib sauce because you went into the wrong nebula too quickly should be like grounds for the entire crew grieving. You imagine Mulcahy goes back to his quarters where his wife is and she's like, <laughs> what is that on your neck? <laughs> I knew you and that seven were <laughs> up to no good. <laughs> yeah, he's got tubules on the collar. Tried to explain that one away, Mulcahy. So, so Seven is able to walk through the force field that surrounds the object in the middle of the science lab. And Tuvok is like, what the fuck is going on in a way that I really liked? Because I like Tuvok has to suspect that Seven is doing this, right? Yeah, I think any detective, and let's face it, I think that's what Tuvok is, mm. should have arrived at that suspicion. She goes in, she pushes a button, and a little door iris is open, and there's a Borg's baby in there. Yeah. I love how it's a little box. Yeah. And it's the same baby as in Allie McBeal. It starts dancing. I love how you get the POV yeah. of the Borg fetus here, too. I wanted the POV at the beginning of this episode, and the POV is delivered in yeah. the next scene. It's... The Captain Seven and Tuvok looking in at this thing. And the Captain is surprisingly accepting of this new dancing baby they have on board. To an extent that I had a hard time believing. Until she starts talking about the idea of once it matures, you know, appropriating its defensive capabilities. At this point, I don't feel like a lot of that is said. She just... Her reasoning is, I want to find out what happens. <laughs> and that's good enough. Right. Yeah. There, the copy of the doc that was in Living Witness, if that had been ever able to report back yeah. on the idea of like attack Borgs yeah. in the cargo bay, like that would have been a fun motivation for Janeway. Like I've always thought that was an interesting thought <laughs> to repel invaders. And this could be the beginning of our attack Borg force. Yeah. But yeah, like like she does wind up having a very interesting justification for that, but we don't get it for a few scenes. So when she's like, yeah, like go ahead and put a security force field up and post a detail to this thing, but we're not killing the baby Borgs. It's like, you know, blinking guy dot gif. So much to unpack in this scene about how the hell this happened, right? The explanation is that 
it's kind of a Tuvix thing. Like the transporter malfunction made it so that Seven's Borg's nanoprobes got down with the Doc's hollow emitter along with Mulcahy's DNA and they stirred it all together and that's what you got. Yeah. It's growing really fast too. It's uh, developing much quicker than a drone would normally. This Borg's is the first to get pubes in his class. <laughs> pubes and a mustache. Yeah. All the other Borgs are like, what the hell? Like, I thought we were playing floor hockey, and now, now all of a sudden I've got to body check a man? Yeah. Who is also my classmate? Like, And it makes this drone feel really awkward at first, and... And it will feel really awkward also when it starts to develop male pattern baldness like <laughs> in senior year. But in the meantime, it does sort of become a hero to its peers because it can buy beer right. without being carted. Yeah. I love, there's a throwaway line here that made me laugh and laugh, which is uh, the doc is talking to Seven about the patient and that they're the equivalent of a six-year-old boy at this point. And the doc is like, I can tell it's male. <laughs> you think so, Doctor? <laughs> did you did you look under the cod piece? <laughs> the doctor also says that his mobile emitter is embedded in the cerebral cortex yeah. of this six-year-old drone. And man, like the grieving his freedom on the ship storyline really gets pushed to the background in this. Like I feel like Robert Picardo knew how big a deal this would be for the doc, but the script kind of forgets what a big deal that would be. I mean, there is that moment where the doc goes full deep thoughts by Jack Handy, and he's like, <laughs> if you ever drop your hollow emitter into the brains of a Borg's drone, let him go, because, man, it's gone. <laughs> The one way that the script does honor that storyline for the doc is that he is on full barge in via FaceTime yeah. mode for the rest of the episode. But yeah, they are letting this thing develop in a quick way. And Seven meets with the captain in her ready room about this. And this is when we finally get a cohesive pitch for why this is an interesting idea and one that we should entertain and that is, this is a 29th century Borgs that doesn't have any connection to the collective. It's like the idea of a child that's like born with no knowledge of racism. They'll be able to like indoctrinate it into their way of thinking. I love this moment because it is like his file is getting read to Janeway. <laughs> and when Janeway hears about like all of the great things about this guy, she's like, that is a hell of a combination. <laughs> you got around, didn't you? Incredible. Captain Her idea is to put seven of nine in the position of sort of being the ambassador to make friends with the super drone and lead sort of a first contact mission. We cut down to Seven going to meet this drone when it wakes up. And it's the kind of first contact where everybody's pointing rifles at the species that you're making first contact with, yeah. just in case it's an asshole. <laughs> well, Mr. Perfect better be polite, otherwise I'll turn him into cat food. This doesn't go great. And I think part of it is, is because this new drone is so much of a clean slate he can't even understand 
what's being asked or said to him, right? Yeah, without a Borg code base to tell him what to do and how to act, Yeah, he's dumb as hell. We are individuals. Do you understand? State our designation. Apparently not. I gotta put this out there. This Borg costume fucking sucks. It is so bad. <laughs> this is like that episode of Voyager where BLT gets kidnapped by that robot. <laughs> and it's like a race of robots. Yeah. I don't know what's happening from the waist up on this guy, but this looks like they inflated balloons and put like paper mache on them and then like pop the balloons and then like painted it gray. I don't understand why future tech has to look so rough. Yeah, it's very lumpy. I think this guy should look like fucking RoboCop. Yeah. Or or like there's like eight Iron Man suits that are cool as hell. It's nanotech. You like it? Right. I feel like this should be a much, much cooler version, Borg's drone, than we've seen before. And for whatever reason, he doesn't look cooler. He looks worse. Yeah, it's... <laughs> You know when, like, suddenly in, like, the mid-90s, everybody stopped wanting to have their home electronics be black and they wanted them to be silver? Yeah. He's like the Iowa boombox of board drones. Ooh, that that one hits harder than anything I said. (laughs) Damn, dude. (laughs) Uh, yeah, like, I don't know, I don't know why so lumpy, I don't know why so unfinished looking. He's also very, like, herky-jerky, the way he moves seems a little more bobbly than, than other drones. This was an effect I was hoping would improve as he got his programming, right? Like, as an acting exercise, you could understand if, in the beginning, when you have no programming you would have a difficult time speaking or walking. And then as those things became installed, you'd get better. That never changes for him. Yeah. It's a choice that this actor makes and does not abandon or modulate at all. This guy is a great actor because he acts like a Nazi in an awesome way. Awesome Nazi acting. Mm, You love that shit. Robot acting, not so much. Yeah. And not only that, Ben. Hmm. You got Todd Babcock on the sidelines watching this performance, probably going like, are you kidding me? (laughs) I could act like a robot better than that. Fuck! I was in the beginning of the script. (laughs) This guy's supposed to be based exactly on my character's fucking DNA. (laughs) And they bring Nazi guy in? What's that say about me? Should I just get out of this fucking acting game? Start your career as a plumber or something? This is why when you go to Star Trek conventions, the J. Paul Bomer and Todd Babcock tables, opposite sides yeah. of the floor. They can't be close to each other. Yeah. Real bad blood. Yeah. And and like sometimes you'll hear other people that, you know, had featured roles in other episodes of Star Trek say that they thought that John Paul Bomer like had some pretty good ideas. Like he wasn't all bad. <laughs> And Todd Babcock will fucking, like, throw a Starship model across the convention center if he hears that kind of talk. <laughs> and I don't blame him. Yeah. You know what John Paul Bomer has? There's a lot of facial hair on his vinculum. I was just, God damn it. I, God, I was just about to make that joke. Ah! Oh! <laughs> 
<laughs> when you have two Star Trek podcasters on the same wavelength thinking of the same joke? God damn it. What do you need two of us for? <laughs> ben could do the show by himself at this point. <laughs> I would never. What I was going to say about John Paul Bomer was that it takes like eight hours to get him in the one makeup, but it takes an extra two hours to shave his vinculum. <laughs> That's so much better than what I said. <laughs> they got to take it down in stages, like like all the different guards. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah that thing will bind up a, a clipper <laughs> like nobody's business they gotta stop it and charge it halfway through if you're not listening to the star trek prodigy episodes on greatest track you are missing out yeah yeah well so after some failed uh, attempts at verbal communication seven attempts a borg's mind meld which is a couple of probes into the neck of this drone and it's like loving getting the information so much that it grabs onto her wrist and like wants to like force her to continue feeding it information. Yeah. Tuvok tries to shoot him off of her because she keeps going, shoot him, shoot him. But that doesn't work. Hey, Tuvok, I think you can spin that rifle around and hit him with the butt of that thing. Yeah. At this point. That's not the thing that gets him to disengage there. Telling him that he's hurting her is the thing that gets him to stop. Yeah. He complies and backs down. And now, like, based on that experience, they're like, let's give this guy tons of information. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. A lot of risks being taken this episode that I don't quite understand. So. This is like one of the few episodes that has acknowledged the Neelix is good at getting his hands on random shit element of his character. Yeah, I like this. He has some like Borg's communication nodes or something, mm-hmm. and he gives them to BLT, and they're uh, down in engineering working on like just giving like database material to this drone. He's got an insatiable appetite for this stuff. Yeah. It doesn't make him walk any better, though. I, th- I don't think any of the materials are about how to walk steadily. No. I mean, like, you know, my child is is still an infant and uh, he's, he's very wobbly. His, he doesn't have a ton of control over what his arms and legs are doing. And maybe we should cut this Borg drone some slack, Adam. What about that? You're saying uh, Darone and this drone are very similar in that respect? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, this, this drone's just like Darone, my son. The boy. There is a moment here that felt very Savick and Spock to me. Yeah. This drone is looking at at the data node and he's like, well, what the fuck am I supposed to do with this? And and Seven's like, well, yeah, you stick your nodules into it. Yeah. You finger fuck it. And this drone is like, what mean nodules? And Seven needs to like grab his arm and flick his wrist and get these things to pop out. I think one other thing about how lumpy and crude looking his costume is that is not great is that when the probes come out, when the little tentacles Mm -hmm. come out, they're so like perfect and clean because they're like computer rendered that they don't look like part of it. I agree. But he loves this. He like, he loves getting the data. He's like, give me more, like, like hit me again. And he starts to get it. Like as soon as he starts absorbing more of this information, he's like, whoa, (laughs) You're seven. 
and you're Neelix, and I'm on a ship. And I'm me. I'm not a part of a collective. We're friends. I'm on Star Trek. And then he just looks right in the camera. <laughs> yeah. What is it with this episode and breaking the fourth wall? No one is treating him as a security threat at this point. Seven's like, cool, things are going great. I'm going to go do something else. Neelix, take him to six bay. <laughs> Neelix, take the wheel. And this drone is even like, I don't think that's a good idea. <laughs> but Seven's like, look, I promise I'm going to come back. You're going to be fine with Neelix. And out in the corridor, Neelix and this new Borgs take a walk while he kind of makes Rain Man style observations of his world around him. He's a precocious little murder machine. <laughs> and uh, I thought that the uh, the scene with the doc could have been a very interesting heightening of the doctor's feelings of resentment. About this guy having selected a name so quickly? You think Is that part of the resentment? Th- that too. But yeah, like also having taken his mobile emitter, like the doctor must hate him. I love that moment. It's such a fun callback when Neelix is like, "Well, what's your name?" and and the drone's like, "I don't, I don't got one." And Neelix is like, "You, you, one." <laughs> Wait, that's it. <laughs> I've got to get that platinum. Put your platinum where your mouth is. I've, I've got to get that platinum. Fortnite is just a gold. You might have heard us talk about Squarespace before and you're thinking, what do I need a website for? I already have a bunch of profiles across the different social medias. But isn't it time you had a place online that wasn't owned by a social media company? How about you take control of your online identity with a website of your own? For that, there's Squarespace. With Squarespace, you can buy a URL and build a customized website with your name and not a giant social media company's name with your name attached and a bunch of numbers at the end. With Squarespace, you can have a place on the internet personalized to your aesthetic that lets you tell people about who you are instead of an algorithm. And the best part is, you don't have to be an experienced designer or a web page creator to make something great because Squarespace is always there for you with their award-winning 24 by 7 customer support. Don't settle for being another company's product. Be your own product with a website that's all you with Squarespace. Go to squarespace.com for a free trial, and when you're ready to launch, use the offer code SCARVES to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. That's squarespace.com. The code is SCARVES. Think it. Dream it. Make it with Squarespace. Boy, do I love a microdose gummy from Lumi Labs. I'm, uh, I'm running low, so I'm going to head over to microdose.com pretty soon and put in another order. Microdosing is a technique I use to steer my mentals in a preferred direction several times a week. And uh, I just love it because you can really predict what is going to happen and to what degree it is going to happen because these are very low-dose cannabis gummies that uh, give you an entry-level dose that help you feel just the right amount of good. And they've been super loyal as sponsors to Greatest Trek and Greatest Gen, so I hope you will give them a try. Get 30% off your first order plus free shipping today at microdose.com. Promo code SCARVES. It's available nationwide. That's microdose.com. Promo code is SCARVES for 30% off and free shipping. Microdose.com. Promo code SCARVES. 
Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. Objection noted. We'll do this without you. Do it. Get do it. Do it. Get do it. Objection noted. We'll do this without you. Do it. Get do it. Do it. Get do it. Do it. The doctor explains the situation at some pressing by one. Mm-hmm. Explains the situation that led to one's existence. And it's a real, like, was I an accident, daddy kind of moment. And the EMH even kind of positions himself in Seven of Nine as the father and mother figures, which has got to be especially galling to Ensign Mulcahy, who is like lying on a bio bed recovering from his tubule wound off camera. I really wonder if this episode works without this specific moment or these lines of dialogue, because this feels so much to me like a fourth person on the credits list going, I have an idea. This should be more of a metaphor, like more obvious of a metaphor than it is. And we need to just (laughs) fucking say it. Metaphor. (laughs) Like, I wonder if I would feel his sacrifice a little more if it came from a place other than I'm a mistake and that is where all my self-worth is and that is how I will live my very short life. Yeah, because like to his credit, the EMH gives an S tier, the rubber broke rationalization for why (laughs) he shouldn't feel that way. Right. Call it a random convergence of technologies. But I was like surprised at how cool the EMH was being because like the EMH is such a petty and resentful character. I can't believe he's just like, no, no, you should feel totally cool about this. Look, kid, I had a ton of freedom with my mobile emitter. I could go out and do whatever I wanted at any time. Ramble, if you will. Yeah. And uh, now that it's buried in your brains, I'm fine. <laughs> it's just fine. It's good. It's it's what I wanted. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. One turns out to be very helpful down in the engineering section. What's BLT doing? She's like scanning the nebula or some shit. Well, she's doing real work while Seven stops like it's a fucking tour group situation, like showing them around engineering. This isn't a classroom, Seven. Yeah. 
And like showing off engineering and the people in it, like they are all equal objects worthy of just kind of casual descriptors. Like she calls BLT volatile right to her face. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> BLT is like 29th century technology, huh? Well, this panel is 24th century technology and you'll notice it's perfectly smooth. What the hell is going on with your chest, one? <laughs> It looks like you were dragged behind a truck. <laughs> what the hell is going on in the Iowa boombox factory? <laughs> Newborg's really earns his keep in this scene. He's like, what are you doing, BLT? And when BLT says, Newborg's is like, well, I can do that right now. Like, I know exactly how to do this task that you're trying to accomplish feebly. And then he jumps right in onto a keyboard and the licks that he plays, yeah, they work. Yeah, he really brings the house down, and yeah. uh, one is uh, integrated happily into the crew far more easily than Seven of Nine ever was. Yeah, I loved how the camera panned down to her hand, and she had a pencil in it. She snapped it. <laughs> <laughs> That was a fun callback. Chicote used to be the one doing that all the time. I love it. <laughs> so one finally meets Janeway. Yeah, I was wondering when this was going to happen. How are you today? I'm just fine. Thank you. It seemed like Janeway was so curious about one, and then one is born or whatever. She doesn't come to meet him or anything? There are two ways that one is very, very different from Seven. The first is that he is really interested in knowing how people see him in a way that Seven really never has. And if Janeway specifically approves of him. Yeah. The second is when he turns and walks away, he has got a giant Borgs dumper on him. <laughs> <laughs> like, holy moly. Even white boys got the shout. <laughs> Baby got back. I hate to see you go, but I am still watching you leave. Like... <laughs> There is no distance you could walk away where I'm not seeing that dumper. Yeah, one can really throw it back. <laughs> Am I sufficient? Yes, more than sufficient. In fact, I don't want none unless you got buns, hon. They should have cut away before he turned around, Ben. <laughs> can you imagine being in the art department and being the person that gets tasked with sculpting the one dumper? It didn't need to be that big. <laughs> I mean, this is an actor that's worn... What are those Nazi jodhpurs? Like, yeah, yeah. Like he's used to like a big butt piece of apparel back there. <laughs> How does Borg's butt look worse than Nazi pants? Maybe that's why they cast him as a Nazi, is he's got the butt for jodhpurs and <laughs> and just inconveniently <laughs> you know what? had to adapt a Borg butt to fit him. Todd Babcock is leaning back in his chair going, Oh, I get it now. <laughs> All right, it's actually fine. I get it. <laughs> I understand. Seven reports after he leaves that uh, he's like starting to get a little bit curious about his, you know, like where his adoptive family, but he's starting to get curious about his biological family or right. his techno-biological family, rather. And the idea of like learning about the Borgs is something that Seven is a little bit hesitant to proceed with. And Janeway's like, well, we've kind of thrown caution to the wind so far in this episode. Why don't we go ahead and keep doing that? You don't want a Borgs to find out from their friends, right? 
No. You want to sit them down and tell them directly from a parent or an authority figure. Yeah. So like maybe tomorrow and seven and one head back down to the cargo bay to recharge overnight. And he's like, come on, mom, you got to tell me, you got to tell me about the Borgs. And she's like, tomorrow, got to do it tomorrow. And he's like, I don't want to go to bed. There's a monster under my alcove. (laughs) And she's like, all right, let me get the flashlight and show you. They sort of have like the Borg Burton Ernie of Voyager mm. energy as they're going to bed here. Great call. Why don't you just go to sleep? Let me get a little rest, huh? I was surprised at this point at one not being more articulate for having downloaded so much information, for knowing so much. Like, he's still reading his Borg Lenny to me. And I was just waiting for the moment that he has a misunderstanding that kills a bunny. Right. And by bunny, I mean someone on the crew. Yeah, like a another Mulcahy type. Right, right. Because Mulcahy is fine. We saw him walk out of there. I love how one is the kind of Borgs that sits on the toilet backwards. Like he goes into the Elko face first. <laughs> oh yeah. He's the AC Slater <laughs> of 29th century Borgs. Yeah. <laughs> this is big fun. Hey, what's that thing beeping on his neck? Yeah, that seems, you know, like when they put a tracker on a car yeah. in a movie and it's got like a bright red light and you're like, really? Like, wouldn't a spy gadget not have a, a red light that would call attention to itself like that? A little strip of gaff tape would yeah. probably take care of that. Yeah. Nope. That light is uh, him contacting a sphere. And uh, we get a screen grab from First Contact here. The uh, collective is talking about how they've detected this guy and they're uh, altering course to intercept. If you're breaking this episode... Would you choose to have this scene right here or would you save the confrontation for the end? I kind of didn't want to be here. I don't want to go to the Borg sphere and and hear them talk about this new signal they picked up. There would be something really interesting about just them going to sleep and then waking up with Janeway and every security person on the ship in the room standing in front of them. That's what I'm saying. Like, how do you make this cut stronger? I think you take out that 30 seconds before the commercial. Because that is a rude awakening. Yeah. Yeah. And Janeway's like, what have you done? And they're like, what? We didn't do anything. We took him offline. No signal. No signal. (laughs) I'm giving you an order. I'm giving you an order. Is that understood? I'm giving you an order. I'm giving you an order. You have just crossed the line. Janeway's like, all right, well, go ahead and show him about the Borg like we planned. I mean, at this point, the Borgs is out of the bag, right? Like, right. They, they sit him down in the ass lab. And it's safe to say that this instructional video did not land how they had hoped because mm-hmm. one's major takeaway is, boy, the Borgs are pretty neat. <laughs> <laughs> What's it like to meet them? Wolf 359, more like Wolf 360, because add me to that. Mulcahy's in the ass lab watching this video too and is like, I had no idea. (laughs) Oh my God! (laughs) What the fuck? (laughs) The camera pans over to him in the back and he's like... (laughs) (laughs) Why didn't anybody tell me about this? This is horrible! Yeah, last to find out Mulcahy... (laughs) More surprised than one. 
so so Janeway turns to one and is like, hey, so we're about to meet these guys. Do you think you could like soup the ship up so that we won't get killed when we meet them? Yeah. That's a huge amount of trust to extend. There's coffee and your abilities to enhance our defenses. It's such a weird scene because the questions and answers are coming from so many different directions. Like Janeway's like, what do you think about giving us more weapons and defenses? And one basically turns to seven in this very same scene and is like, hey, what do you think about going and joining them? Do you ever think about that? Yeah, like right in front of Janeway. And seven is like, nope, I actually want to stay here. And I think you should too. What do you think about the pregnancy of that pause though? It did seem like she had to think a long time about it. It did. And uh, they didn't actually show it, but you can hear Janeway snap a pencil in that pause. Do you wish to rejoin the collective? Voyager is my collective. The take they didn't use is Seven smiling like she did at the, <laughs> in the cold <laughs> open in response to the question. She just smiles with her eyes, and yeah. that's why she's so alluring. Yeah. So one basically tells Janeway that he's got to think about it. Like, there is no answer to the question, will you help us? Yeah. Probably because they couldn't walk to a stride through the door or that <laughs> fucking dumper. <laughs> one is feeling a type of way as they walk down the hallway. And uh, I really liked this scene because the hallway is like a beehive of activity. People are like running to get to their stations for a red alert situation. Imagine being afraid of the Borgs attacking you and, and running past a Borgs in your corridor. <laughs> Don't love that. Yeah. So they head up to the bridge where they're getting hailed by the Borgs and being told to heave to and prepare to be boarded. Do you remember the deal we made <laughs> earlier that allowed us safe passage? And the Borgs are like, yeah, you actually didn't say anything about it going forever. <laughs> it actually expired. You fool. <laughs> you didn't negotiate an endless period of peace between us. Yeah, yeah. Janeway is like, fuck, god damn it. There's always something in the fine print that gets me. They go back into a void in the next episode and Janeway's super bummed about not negotiating an endless peace agreement between Voyager and the Borgs. It was short-sighted, and now all of us are paying for my mistake. Yeah, this is just like another opportunity for her to feel super guilty about a mistake that she made in the past. Yeah, yeah. So the Borgs put a tractor beam on Voyager, and one sticks some tubules into the computer and is able to remodulate their shields and break the tractor beam and i loved this exterior shot yeah. it looked so cool yeah i love getting weird with the angles and then he like enhances their phasers and they take a shot at the at the sphere and this doesn't work their technology is only so good there's only so much he can do yeah but it you know he he has really souped their shields up and they're like well fuck like i don't i'm not really sure what we can do because we can't win in a shooting war with this sphere and he's like, don't worry about it. I got this one, guys. You stay here. I'm going to beam over. I'm going to march right over there, and I'm going to tell them to knock it off. <laughs> and he is super confident he won't be assimilated, even though both he and Seven are hearing voices. And it seems like they're having an effect on him until Seven is like, you've got to resist these voices, my friend. 
Yeah. So he does like an I dream of genie hand movement and beams himself over to the sphere. And the sphere tells him resistance is futile. And he's like, like fun it is. And goes and starts like beating up drones and hops onto a uh, recharge station and starts hacking the sphere. I think everything in the episode rides on this scene because you're warned about what would happen multiple times about if this 29th century Borgs falls into the Borgs hands and improves the Borgs across the quadrant. Like the fact that they don't fit him with an exploding vest before he beams over is insane. It's terrifying. They're just trusting him. And what he does is he goes and flies the sphere into the nebula and it crushes like a can. It explodes. It's a huge explosion. Great effect. Really fun effect. I think the Borg should have seen this coming, though, because one learned how to fly a sphere, but never learned how to land. Mm, Yeah, yeah. And also, two is one. One is none. So Mm, Precisely. Got to be anticipating that he would self- sacrifice he's like the one survivor his his personal force field was strong enough to prevent him from dying immediately but he's really fucked up and they get him to six bay and the doc is scanning him and he's all bloody he's got borg brains oozing out of his head and he needs surgery he's uh talking to seven about like did it you know did it work ship out of danger captain (laughs) and uh she's uh talking to him about how nice it is to be in the collective, but he's like, yeah, no, they they know about me. So they're going to be obsessed with getting me. And I don't think we can let me fall into their hands. Yeah. I mean, he wants to die here to protect Voyager, but also to correct God's sick plan. (laughs) (laughs) The accident that is one as he perceives it. I was never meant to be. And he goes so far as to put up a force field to stop the doctor from saving his life. Yeah. Fucked up. And when he dies, there's there's that moment of pause where the doc looks at him. He looks at the, the flat line and he's like, did he have an organ donation card or can I just go in and get my emitter back? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I also thought uh, it was kind of a weird choice to do kind of comic relief right here, but the doc tries to do that thing where he reaches and and pushes his eyelids closed, but the force field is still up, (laughs) so he can't get his hand in there. Yeah, that's tough. Yeah. So the bookend of the episode is a shot of Seven looking into that same mirror from the beginning, only this time, sad. Yeah. Maybe she'll turn on his alcove some other time. You think you just tear the alcove out or you just turn the power off to it at this point? Oh, yeah. Maybe she like leaves it exactly like he left it. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's like kind of like a, a parent with a kid who's gone up to college. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Not my parents, but. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, a more sentimentally minded parent. As soon as I had uh, crossed the threshold of our front door on my way to the car, <laughs> shit was being done to my room. Yeah. Suddenly this is a guest room. Interesting. Pretty nice composition at the end of her with the Tesla coil behind her head. Yeah. That final scene. And also, like, a pretty affecting performance here by Jerry Ryan. Truly. I thought that uh, she was great throughout this episode. But did you like the episode overall, Adam? Yeah. Did you like throughout the episode? 
You know, I'm really easy to get along with most of the time. But I don't like bullets, I don't like friends, and I don't like you. I think starting from the end, Jerry Ryan carries this episode as a main cast character in a way that seemed momentous. Like, the captain of the ship is mostly sidelined during a story that is an existential threat to everyone there. It's really Seven's job to figure this out. That said, like, what happens in this episode is a lot better than what we see in this episode. And I think, sadly, so much of it has to do with one's chest. (laughs) Like, it's on screen a ton. It's hard to take him seriously as a threat when he is just kind of a slow Borgs about it, even though we're meant to believe that he's superior in every way. I wonder why they chose not to make him linguistically superior. Like, a little faster on the uptake, a little athletic looking in the walking around. Like, make him a superhero because telling me he's a superhero and describing all the cool things he can do and only seeing like one trick, the transporter trick, like he wasn't impressive enough for me. Yeah. Yeah. And this actor is used to playing very impressive characters on Star Trek, you know, master characters, if you will. Our blood is pure. <laughs> And uh, just don't think he rose to that level with one. And one is such an interesting character. I thought I thought he deserved more. Interesting ideas, but the execution, I, I don't know. I, it's hard to articulate the improvements that I would make outside of that chest. But I think it starts <laughs> with that chest. If the chest rose to the level of the ass, maybe we would be, <laughs> you know, more praising of this episode. Yeah. What did you think, Ben? Uh, I think this episode is really entertaining, mm-hmm. you know, first and foremost. That's an important metric. But yeah, like it definitely felt like a non-dangerous Borgs episode. like Which I hate. Yeah. And like much less interrogation of the captain's kind of willingness to risk everything to try a thing out with the Borgs. Um that I would have wanted in an episode. Like, I think this would have been a really interesting two-parter and really, like, go into all of the angles on this. Yeah. And, you know, like, that could be a richer storyline about the doctor grieving the loss of his mobile emitter, but, you know, coming to have a respect for this character or something. Mm -hmm. You know, more about everybody questioning what the captain is up to and her having to make a more full-throated defense of her plan. Right. Scarier enemy encounters with Borgs. I mean, serialize this like you did the Herogen message. Like, that was running in the background of half a dozen episodes. There's no reason why you couldn't slow down the gestation of this thing and make it something you really think about for a long time. And like that scene about BLT being volatile, like make... One, more volatile. Make him more tempted to be the worst kind of Borgs more yeah. times, you know? The show's so interested in teaching people how to be human. I know the very name is racist, but like with how much care the doc takes in bringing Seven up and socializing her and stuff, there is that story baked in here, and that never happens. Right. It would have been nice if it had happened, but it doesn't. Yeah. Well... 
Do you want to see if there's anything nice in the Priority One inbox, Adam? Yeah, I'm just checking out the costume design on these P1s. Priority One message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Need a supplemental income. Supplemental income? Supplemental. Supplemental. Yeah, it's extra. But the interest alone could be enough to buy this ship. Adam, our first P1 is of a promotional nature. Goes like this. It's that time of year again. Yes, it's time to start thinking about what to get family and friends for the holidays. Get them something you know they will use, like small batch, carefully crafted hot sauce from PSP Brooklyn. PSP Brooklyn? PSP Brooklyn prioritizes flavor while striking the perfect balance of options from heat to mo heat. Our BK Boxcar gift box features all five of our delicious flavors packed in a beautifully designed box featuring a lively NYC subway scene. Get yours today. Adam, PSB Brooklyn is a company founded by a very good friend of mine, Jamal Richardson. Yeah, and we both were sent a couple of bottles of this hot sauce, Ben. Yeah, and I actually just yesterday in the mail, Adam, received the boxcar gift box Whoa. so we're getting dinner tonight i will bring this and you can pick a couple more bottles out cool of the gift box it's really beautiful i really like the sauce that we were sent before and what's more i fucking respect that they didn't put the little dauber thing on the end of the bottle yeah like that is a full-on pour spout <laughs> that you need to be careful yeah when yeah. you're using because i made some eggs with it a couple mornings ago and Oversauced. <laughs> it was delicious. Jamal is a great dude. I met him. He was a bartender when I met him. He was instrumental in uh, my wife and I in our courtship. We would go to the bar that he worked at all the time. Wow. I've traveled the world with Jamal. He's a really talented photographer and videographer. And I really hope people will check this out. So go to PSPBrooklyn.com and get that hot sauce. Yeah, I mean... I think we're both people that have Miriam hot sauces yeah. in their pantries. I go to this one all the time. Yeah. This is one of my go-to hot sauces in the house. Yeah. The uh, mango maruga one is is my personal fave yeah. if you're looking for an endorsement. But uh, yeah. I also really like the green one. Yeah. PSPBrooklyn.com. Hit it up. Support my buddy Jamal. Ben, our second priority one message is from Kathleen, and it is to Ben and Adam. Message goes like this. You guys have given hours of entertainment for many walks with my dogs, studying for veterinary boards, maternity leaves with my kids, and more. Thanks for being the dick-filled soundtrack <laughs> of all of life's big and small events. I'm gonna, I'm gonna stop the reading right there and just turn to camera and, and be like, Kathleen. <laughs> Are you missing a word there, or is that what you meant to say? You're saying that she left out joke? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, in her defense, we also leave out jokes. Sure. In, in what we do. <laughs> Message continues, you always make me laugh and genuinely make the world a more fun place to be. And congrats to Ben on Baby. Enjoy the ride. Thank you, Kathleen. Ah, what a sweet message. And uh, boy, congrats on uh, veterinary boards and the kids of your own. That's amazing. Yeah. You've had a very busy couple of years. 
doing the important work as a veterinary professional. You and I have encountered many of those over the years. Indeed. And they do great work. They do. They're very much appreciated. Well, thanks to everyone that got a P1 this week. If you'd like to get a P1, head to MaximumFun.org slash Jumbotron. Order yours today. Hey, Ben. What's that, Adam? Did you find yourself a drunk Shimoda? Incredible. Drunk Shimoda! Ooh, boy. Uh, <laughs> I guess I'm going to give it to Mulcahy. We recently reviewed an episode of Baywatch on uh, our hit bonus podcast, The Santa Monica Mountains. And... Uh, Craig Pomeroy, the lawyer lifeguard, gets beat up at one point in that episode off camera. And then they drive him into the town that they're visiting in a Jeep and like push him out of the Jeep. And then he's like lying in the dirt and his buddies have to come like gather around him. And it's one of those like, how fucked up is he? Like, is it like, is he in dire need of immediate medical attention? Because he like, was so weak he couldn't prevent himself from being pushed out of this jeep and now he's just lying on (laughs) the dirt road and mulcahy very much the same vibe here where he's just like lying he doesn't like radio for help he doesn't call for backup he doesn't do anything but go into this room and then get found lying on the floor but then they're like help him to six bay and he gets up and walks to six bay (laughs) with a couple of security guys How hurt is he or not? They needed to help him better. (laughs) Ben, my Shimoda is also Mokehi, but the the reasons are more simple. Okay. It's that I just want to give him the respect that this episode does not. (laughs) And that is that. Yeah, fair enough. Keep it simple. I like it. Well... (laughs) Adam, I'm going to head over to the game of buttholes. The will of the caretaker at gach.biz slash game. Our next episode is season five, episode three, Extreme Risk. In order to retrieve a probe stuck in a hazardous atmosphere, Tom Paris designs a new type of shuttlecraft. Wow, so they're just going to talk about replacing a shuttlecraft in one episode and the very next episode they will have replaced it? Yeah, they just go ahead and do it. You know what the big reveal should be? (laughs) What? It's a brat with a cover over the bed. (laughs) Isn't that just a cross track? Yeah. (laughs) Well, Adam, our shuttle, our, uh, I mean, we're, it's not even a shuttle. It's a, it's a runabout. Sure is. That is on square 93 at present. Ben, do uh, we need to replace the runabout? Do we need to replace it with a brat or, or something else for Voyager? Man, I mean, we could replace it with a, a Delta Flyer, but there's already a Delta Flyer on represented on the board, you know? What are you talking... I don't know what a Delta Flyer is. Uh, I'll, I'll explain when you're older. Okay. Uh, so, yeah, I'm going to go ahead and roll this bone. It looks like the only thing I could hit is a space butthole that would take us to an nth degree extensive research episode. Probably the most popular square on the board. <laughs> People really like the type of research we do when we hit those. Someone on the internet mentioned that we needed more episodes with no notes. <laughs> yeah. I, I kind of agree. Yeah, the uh, recent episodes of uh, Greatest Trek have made people think that the writing ideas down ahead of time has been our, our greatest folly over yeah. the years. <laughs> You're required to learn as you play. Roll. 
the prevailing wisdom is that the show is better when we try less. <laughs> I'm going to go ahead and roll this bone, Adam. And I've hit a three. Chula! Did I win? Hardly. Putting us on square 96, regular episode next week. Nice. But uh, we are now tantalizingly close to a Morn Hammered episode, my friend. God, it's right there. How about that? Yeah. Very cool. All right. Well, that will just about do it for this episode. We got some credits, though, right? We got to bore people with some credits. The credits are never boring. This is my parents' favorite part of the show because they know they can uh, listen to something that they want to hear pretty soon. (laughs) Ben, I mentioned up top that I was able to professionalize my studio with acoustic treatment. The only way I was able to do that was because the show is supported financially by those that can afford to do so. Yeah, when I moved a couple years ago and put up acoustic tiles in my studio, same deal. Like, the fact that this show sounds good, that we're recording in spaces that are designed for recording in, is 100% something we're able to do because of your support. And check it out. You might fucking hate me and Ben. Mm Mm-hmm. But Wendy's job is easier when the places we record sound better. Yeah. So if you care about her. Do it for Wendy. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. It's uh, maximumfun.org slash join if you'd like to support. And uh, hey. Just support it and forget it. Speaking of Wendy, thanks to her for being the producer of this program. We've got to thank Nick Dittmore for helping us out with artwork and uh, the store, podshop.biz. Podshop.biz. Head over there if you'd like to get some merch. Yeah. More and more merch every week. Yeah, we're always coming up with new ideas. We're trying to fill it out, put artwork that we already had on more types of items so that... uh, that you just always have something fun to consider when you go there. We got to thank Bill Tilly, who runs the At Greatest Trek social media accounts on Instagram and Twitter. Social media is a trash fire, but those are fun to follow. You know, I don't know. Probably Twitter will be out of business by the time this episode comes out, right? Friends of DeSoto make every place better. That's been our experience. Maybe we're on Mastodon or something now. Yeah, we'll see. <laughs> uh, head to uh, drunkshimoto.com if you're a Discord person. Check out the Facebook group if you're a Facebook person. All perfectly valid expressions of Friends of DeSoto hangs on imperfect social networks. We've got to thank Adam Ragusia for music on the program. Check out his cooking show on YouTube and his podcast, which is also about cooking, but also about a lot more. He's a really smart and entertaining guy, and this podcast is great. A weekly listen for those of us. One of the greats making great things. With that, we will be back at you next week with another great episode of Star Trek Voyager and an episode of The Greatest Generation Voyager where Adam learns about the birds and the bees W slash R slash T shuttle design. Mm. Where do new shuttles come from? When a pilot and an engineer love each other very much, Adam. Oh, no. (laughs) That is going to be a difficult birth for BLT. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, she's going to have to put the engineering smock back on for a little while. No. Yikes. Make it so.
MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.